They say the world can be hard, cruel, and ugly. Trust me, it gets worse if you're hungry and thirst. Doesn't push you from position, last place to first. Can't build a foundation without having feet in the dirt. So I put in the work, grind harder than most. I don't chase accolades of the living, I'm facing a ghost. That's what makes me the GOAT. Depending on who you ask, my brother, whatever task. Got it covered like a mask, guaranteed they can't see me at the open run. Cause I cook competitors until they look well done. Don't act like you don't know where I held from. I had to climb about the trenches, sit on benches, throw my time and come. Don't be mad at the player, be mad at the game. Sneak this in the hating, that's a flag on the play. Me falling off, huh? That'll be the day I'm like, bolt in the race, leave the track, flambe, it's the open run. Today is, it's my anniversary, well it's actually my podcast, it's my anniversary, the podcast. Do, let me stop singing right now, or at least what I think is singing, and allow me to reintroduce myself and my podcast. This is The Open Run with Will Strickland, that would be me. The Open Run with Will Strickland is brought to you by the fine folks at Press. We are press.net. I can be found across these rough interweb streets at W underscore Strickland and the number one on Twitter, Will Strickland and the number one on IG and across all streaming platforms where podcasts can be found. The anniversary is not actually today. It's actually tomorrow, December 15th, 2020 was when I launched this podcast and then I didn't know what I was doing and still I'm wondering if I know what I'm doing, but I am enjoying the ride. I'm enjoying the feedback, I'm enjoying the support, I'm enjoying the opportunity to share with you my lens on the news, views, and truths that you choose on the NBA and beyond each and every week. It's been a privilege and an honor and I want to thank, I wish I could thank each and every one of you individually, I cannot, so I will thank you as a unit, as a group, because we roll as a team, never move alone, but welcome to the Terror Dome, shouts out to my man Chuck D., I want to thank all the listeners, supporters, people with the feedback, fans, just everyone. And I know and realize you have a multitude of choices out here to listen to about the game and things around the game. A lot of people can give you stats and numbers, and that's great. Not dismissing it because it gives us a foundation to talk about some things. But I've heard before, and it's been said, that facts are not persuasive. Stories are. As a storytelling hoops Magellan I want to tell a story right now about the name of this week's episode. What's a cummerbund? Now, I know I'm saying it improperly, and I'm doing that on purpose because that's the way it was introduced to me. That's what I've always known it to be. Until recently, when I found out that it was not pronounced that way. It's actually a cummerbund. And that's C-U-M-M-E-R-B-U-N-D. Cummerbund. Okay. You know, if I was not an adult and I was still the child that I used to be, i make a play on that word, but I'm not going to. That would be predictable and easy bake, so I'm going to leave that be. But to tell you more about it and why it was even troubling me, especially now during the holiday season, a bunch of black tie events and you get suited and booted. And I was asked the question, like, okay, well, I don't know what the purpose of that thing is. You know, the cummerbund. So let me tell you a little bit more about it because I'm learning. And there's a reason, though I don't know the function still to this day. Now, I happened to be reading a blog online about it. I was doing research. I research everything. I read everything. It's crazy, but that's what I do. And it says, The Cummerbund stands as an homage to the gentleman's fashion rule book and black tie purity. While we often associate the Cummerbund with European aristocracy, of course we do. The waist covering actually originated in Persia and Indian cultures centuries before the British adopted that's a fancy word. Adopted, co-opted, colonized, who knows? Anyway, the accessory in the late 19th century. When the British military personnel landed in India around 1850, they noticed that the natives wore bright sashes around their waist, which were called kamar bands. Kamar meaning waist or loin. It's basically a loincloth, but whatever. And as a custom, British Army members wore waistcoats underneath their jackets during formal dinners. Being subjected to higher temperatures than they were used to, however, in their quest to conquer another continent, that part I just threw in there. The British sought a solution to gain some sort of relief from the scorching heat in India. At that moment, they looked to the Indians for inspiration 
and replaced their heavy vest with lighter sashes. Eventually, the sashes turned into pleated coverings, and thus, the European cummerbund was born. Hmm. I still don't understand the function of it. Is it like to stand out? Is it an extra accessory piece? Is it supposed to match with my bow tie or whatever type of tie I'm wearing that evening? You know, should I be wearing suspenders? I don't know. I just wonder. I still wonder. Maybe I shouldn't wonder that much because I'm not going to any formal functions this holiday season anyway. But there was one formal function and it was led by the great Messiah Jury of the Toronto Raptors who has done an excellent job offering agency and light to an event called the Giants of Africa from everything he did, utilizing his platform to introduce a new generation of young people to Nelson Mandela here in North America, in particular in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and to his event, the Giants of Africa, whose sole mission is to utilize basketball as a means to educate and enrich the lives of African youth. They aim to provide quality facilities, gear, coaching, with the goal of growing the game within Africa. And we'll talk about the Basketball Africa League a little bit later as they're coming back for their second season. But they want to create awareness and support for underprivileged children and young adults through the camps with an emphasis on hard work, accountability, honest living, and positivity. They strive to create opportunity not only as a player but in other related areas, urging African youth to dream big. And I admire and support that because, of course, in Maasai, you must trust and it was noted recently that at this year's event, Mr. Ujuri contracted COVID, as well as lots of other people who were at the event, including, I think, the only man who's ever been elected into the Hall of Fame as a fan, my man, the superfan, Navbatia. Now, you should know something. In life, there are very few guarantees. We have death, taxes, this podcast, I'm freestyling, and Navbatia at a Raptors game. Since 1995, the man has never missed a game. He's probably missed family events and all this kind of other stuff. He's never missed a Raptors game at home, ever, until recently. Because everyone who was at the event was ordered to quarantine, including Navbatia, the superfan. So, wow. He was one of those things that was almost guaranteed in this life Death taxes and not at a Raptors game. Finally missed one. But have no fear because the great Cal Penn of Harold and Kumar fame is going to play Nav in a movie about his life. And I think this man has led an incredible life as an immigrant coming to North America, finding his way and becoming someone who's so passionate about the game. We should always want to shine light on those kinds of people. So salute to Cal Penn and salute to my man, Nav Batia. I suppose since we're on the COVID train, we should stay there, at least for the time being. And note that the NBA has put out a memo that by January 15th, any unvaccinated players who are traveling to Canada play for, against or for the Raptors. If you leave the country one way or the other, wherever you are, you've got to stay or don't go until you get fully vaccinated. Now, the NBA is claiming that they are 97% vaccinated, including the possibility, and I'm tired of the possibilities, of my man Kyrie Andrew Irving coming back to play for the Brooklyn Nets as long as, and I think this is a rumor because it sounds nuts when they said, if they can find a plant-based COVID vaccine, he's down for that. I don't get it. I don't know what that means exactly, but okay. Um, if that's possible, you know, I might even be for that. One guy who was the Eastern Conference Player of the Week and also a former Toronto Raptor, DeMar Darnell DeRozan, catches COVID, along with nine other teammates from the Chicago Bulls are under COVID health and wellness protocol right now. Are they going to bring back Scottie Pippen for a 10-day? They don't have any bodies. The Winnie City Bulls, the G League affiliate, they may be sending up guys. They sent up Stanley Johnson. They just signed him, and he's on the COVID list. Everyone from Zach Levine to Derek Jones Jr. to DeMar DeRozan, like, I don't know what the Bulls are, and they were having a really promising season. These COVID protocol and contact tracing situations end up working like injuries toward a team. Imagine an NBA team with 10 injured players. Could they forfeit their games? Will they reset those games so far? They haven't forfeit any games. They haven't had to replay any games as yet. But if they don't have enough players to field a roster, shit, I might go and get a 10. No, I'm, I'm bugging. Now, we all know that 
Wardell Stephen Curry is chasing Walter Ray Allen for the all-time three-point record. But as a quirky side fact, did you realize that Giannis Ugo Laterence Antetokounmpo has hit 115 more three-pointers than Anthony Davis in his career? That tripped me out when I found that out. What's really more important right now as we talk about DeMar DeRozan and also my man, the 50 boy, BMF, as he put up 51 points against the Detroit Pistons just recently, Kevin Wayne Durant, the mid-range assassins. Now, all the analytics in the world, and I talked about stats earlier and how you can forge them and, and you can juke the stats and make the numbers say what you want them to say. But how do you tell a real story around that? Here's the example. Kevin Durant and DeMar DeRozan have bucked a trend, especially Durant, who's come back from what would normally be a devastating injury, so shouts out to modern medicine, and been more efficient and almost as lethal as he was before the injury. He's leading the league with almost 30 points a night, and most of his scoring is not from behind the arc. He's a guy who can score at every level. Let's know this. But what he's doing in the mid-range, you know, the shot doesn't really have any value to the analytics geeks. He's been mastering that. And of course, DeMar DeRozan, for years, people knew. that's He patterned so much of his game behind the late, great Kobe Bryant. And you can see this in the way he's playing. So just as an example, here's a snapshot. The year that Kevin Durant came to the league, 2007-2008 season, 22% of the shots in the NBA were three-pointers. Not bad. Now, over 40% of the shots that are taken are three-pointers. The mid-range is a little bit different. In that same season, 32% of the shots were mid-range shots. So anywhere inside the arc between, you know, 15, 18, 20 feet, that's a mid-range shot. Any shot within the arc that wasn't a layup is a mid-range shot. 32% of those were shot in 2007-2008 season. Now it's down to 13%. And the guys who are taking the most of those? DeMar DeRozan, Kevin Durant. As a matter of fact, 43% of Kevin Durant's shots are from the mid-range. There must be something to say about that because he's keeping his team afloat with James Harden still floating around out here trying to figure out his way and not knowing whether you're going to have my man World B. Flat coming back is at least a road player this season except everywhere but Canada. And I hit the road again. I'm going to go west because they told me to go west, young man. And I noted that there is no more Staples Center, even though people are still saying Staples Center, just like I was saying Cumberbund. There's no more Staples Center is now the Crypto.com Arena. So the house that Kobe and Shaq built is no more, at least in name, because if you can buy the naming rights to a building, I guess you can call it what you want to call it. Why do I feel like Frank Lucas right now? And if you saw American Gangster, the lady said, your name is Frank, but you call your bar, your club, Smalls Paradise. And Frank said, well, when you own something, you can call it what you want. So I'm a crip walk out of here to that and come back for more on the other side of this, on the open run with Will Strickland. Back in you more of what you asked for. It's the open run with Will Strickland in conversation with my man, Brian Kadoma Angel from Ace Town All Day, Houston, Texas, HTX. What's going on, B? Man, chilling. Just getting it in. Had a big weekend at the shop. Holiday shopping season is upon us. Uh, no slowdowns here in Texas. But a uh, busy week, man. We have our 18th annual Holiday Sneaker Summit event going down this Sunday. Well, before you do all of that, because I'm going to give you ample opportunity to promote all of that. Yes, the sir. people need to know who you are. You're just like, let me throw my, what's my man's name? Or from Gallery Furniture? Mattress Smack. Smack. <laughs> yeah. You were I'm going on Mattress of off, the, off the rip. So is that go. you? The Mattress yeah, Mac of Sneakers? I am. I'm holding it down here in H-Town. I've uh, been holding it down in the world of sneakers professionally for, I'd say, 20 years. So this uh, is you running your resume right now, because every guest I have on the show, I have them to run their resume. So go ahead yeah. and run your resume, sir. You said yeah. 20 years you've been running it like that? We can we can run my resume. It started out as a passion project, became a part-time job, now a full-time job. Uh, actually, probably three full-time jobs. <laughs> you know, like I said, I got a busy week. I got a huge event on Sunday. 
But, uh, you know, I wanted to hop on here, take the time to speak to an OG. You know, real recognize <laughs> real. Um, You're looking real familiar. But, yeah, for those that are, you know, new in the scene, you might not know who I am, but I'm basically the godfather of modern-day sneaker events. Mm. So we started out as a community-based sneaker event in January of 2004. It's almost 20 years ago. We're on our 18th year now. Mm -hmm. uh, I started in a coffee shop. I held the event for free for three years. Uh, we grew out of the coffee shop into sports bars, into nightclubs, into concert venues. And in 2011, we were the first event of our, of our kind to be held in a professional sports venue. Toyota mm -hmm. Center, known as the home of the Houston Rockets. Your listeners ought to know that venue right. very well. Uh, we outgrew that venue in only a year's time. And currently we're at NRG Park where the Houston Texans play. At our high point, we were at an 80,000 square foot exhibit hall. I want to say we had 8,000 people come through the show from 3 to 8 p.m. We're a five-hour show. We don't stretch it out all day, all day long. It's a party. It's an event. It's a community event. You know, very important. Right. Uh, but, yeah, man, it's been a wild ride. And we did that for about 13 years. Five years ago, I opened up a storefront here in Houston, Texas, uh, where you just visited a few weeks ago. Yes, sir. And, uh, so we could have a place for a community to interact 360 days a year. And it's a beautiful thing, man. It's been a, a labor of love, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into this thing. I've got stories for days, you know. I don't know. Well, I, I definitely want some of those stories for sure. Yeah. And, and, and just the, the idea behind Sneaker Summit and why you were the person to do that. Why Sneaker Summit and why you? Well, I'm an 80s baby, you know. I grew up in the land of kicks, Michael Jordan. I still remember, you know, skateboarding around the neighborhood with my friend and going over to spend the night at his house for the first time. And he had a poster above his bed. And it was Michael Jordan right. attacking the rim with his tongue out and the gold <laughs> chain, you know? And I was like, who's right. that? Right. He was like, that's Michael Jordan. You don't know who that is? And uh, that was probably his rookie season, 85. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just that that moment, I never seen anything like it. The aggression, the passion that he had for the game. And I didn't even really play basketball that much, but it just – it took me and it made that impression on me. And, uh, of course, I was in the hip hop, you know, the groundbreaking music at the time, uh, going to school on the bus, listening to Eric B. Paid in full on my Walkman. All right. You know, on your Walkman. Through, <laughs> man, if you had that, you, right. were, uh, you were something else, man. You were in the know because that was like almost uh, damn near banned. Mm -hmm. um, the next year, I think is when it all kind of collided. And that's when uh, the Skinny Boys released their cassette tape, Skinny and Proud. <laughs> right. And they had on the brand-new Air Jordan 2s, and those were made in Italy. They had the jumpsuit on and everything on the album cover. And, uh, you know, I was like every other kid. My mom took me school shopping, and I got, you know, one pair of shoes to look nice in, and my old pair of shoes were used to beat up. But I was bound and determined to get those Air Jordan 2s. Like, that's the shoe I wanted for school. But when mom saw, you know, a $100 sneaker, she was like, nah. Right. <laughs> and uh, looking back on it now, I was lucky to get off the mall with the Barclays. You know, those were a right. very hot shoe back then. The Air Force, Barclay was the name of Air Force. They had Force and they had Flight. Right. You know, and I guess Force was for the power players and flight was for the high flying guys at the time and uh, i was lucky to get out the mall with the barclays yeah that was probably like the one of the the first uh, professional sports memorable shoes that i had and then here we are you know uh, some 20 years later and i'm discussing music with one of my friends on the internet and mm -hmm. uh you know we start talking about shoes and i was like man i really wish i could find a pair of bo jacksons you right know, here we are 20 years later from the air trainer one and he hit me he's like why don't you go to this online forum you know and that was nike talk 
Mm. And I logged on there, and uh, that's when I realized, like, sneakers wasn't just a hobby anymore. It wasn't a niche or a fad. It was become. It was quickly becoming a worldwide phenomenon. When I signed on at the time, I chose the name Kodoma. That's what you introduced me as. I was watching a, a Japanese anime movie that was one of my favorite characters in the movie. So that's what I picked as my screen name. No and uh, that's what people came to know me by all over the world, from Japan to Australia, Chicago, Atlanta, New York, Tokyo. Um, we would trade shoes because mm. at the time, the shoes didn't release everywhere. They released mm. in certain markets. So, you know, California may get one colorway where New York got the other colorway. Japan right. had all the craziness, you know, mm. and you just kind of had to trade or work a deal or, you know, I'll get you these if you get me those. I brought Bathing Ape to Houston in the golden era of Bape, Pharrell, Little Wayne from Japan. But it's just been a crazy ride, man. Crazy, crazy ride. Well, it looks like it's a great thing. You talked about the community, first and foremost, the online community, and then open up the storefront there and having a physical brick and mortar space for the community of Houston. People who come to the city, like I came down to the city to visit you. I needed to be in the space to see what it was all about and feel that and actually meet in person. Like when you talk about celebrity support, community support, how do you feel that's been going since you opened up the store five years ago? I think it's been good. We had celebrity support before we opened the store. Uh, first celebrity that ever came to our event, I want to say it was three years in, was mm -hmm. the playground legend Rafer Alston. Right. Skip to my Lou. Skip to my Lou. Yeah. He played for the Houston Rockets at the time. And I guess he heard the buzz about Sneaker Summit. And that's what makes Sneaker Summit so great is it's a level playing field. People show up there because they love sneakers. They know they're going to see sneakers they've never seen before or haven't seen in a long time or may never see again. So they want to be right. there. And uh, Rafer showed up at the sports bar and it kind of just shocked everybody. You know, they may have caught him in a sneaker boutique, you know, kind of shopping here and there, but. He actually showed up and, you know, was able to discuss kicks with a kid that has a closet full of sneakers. And it was a level playing field. It was like, you know, here's the professional athlete and then the kid's still in high school and they're both there because they both love shoes. Now, they didn't talk about and ones, did they? Uh, I mean, they might have. There's a lot of ballers still love the and one and say no that. I cheese the greatest playground shoe ever. You know, there's people like that still, but yeah, it was just amazing. And then I think the next event is when uh bun B of UGK stepped in the picture. Mm -hmm. He showed up and Shout uh, out to uncle, uncle Bernie. Yeah. That was our, our first ever paid event three years in, you mm -hmm. know, the guys at the, at the sports bar, they were getting tired of us loitering around all day with, dirty shoes on the table and uh they're like man i gotta have a place for my customers to watch sports so i had right. to run out a nightclub on a sunday wasn't nothing going on not a lot of day parties back then and you mm -hmm. know i talked the guy into hey you don't have anything going on you know i'll let you keep the bar whatever blah 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 he's like all right but just pay for my bouncer and that mm -hmm. was a 300 300 for the bouncer and mm -hmm. uh, i got a uh, reebok to cover it right and, man in that three hundred dollars, it was it was tough, but I I did it. I made it happen, and then after that, I decided, well, I better start changing uh, charging for admission because, you know, I had enough on my plate at the time. I didn't want chasing people for money to become another full time job. Yes, so, that, and that happens in this, yeah. especially when you're trying to build something on your own. But yeah, but yeah, it happened. You know, and yeah. luckily, uh, they felt that it was worth paying for, and uh, Bun B showed up. You know, right. Bungie was there, and he actually brought stuff to display. I think he had the, uh, the a Reebok, like, Godfather collection or something unheard of, like Godfather the movie. It was, like, stitched, embroidered denim, like something I've never seen before, probably never saw again. But it was really cool to have him show up and proud to show off, you know, what he had just got and um I think that was really cool. And then it just built from there. I mean, we were growing exponentially, I want to say, from 2004 to 2013. Right. And, uh, 
like all things, you know, I think they had like maybe the 25th anniversary of the Air Force One. Yes, we had that. That's 2007. I remember that. Was yeah, that I was there. 2007. Yeah. So, uh, fashion's kind of cyclical. You know, they put out way too many releases and uh, kind of played themselves a little bit. They made it damn near impossible to collect every single Air Force One, uh, right. kind of like they did with the Air Jordan One this year. Unless but you were at that party. Now that, yeah. the party, whether you were at the party in Shanghai or Beijing or Toronto or New York or LA, they hit you with the Christmas tree full of shoes. I still oh, have yeah. them. Yeah, I mean back in back in our day in the in the golden era, I could say, Hey man, you know Will? Will who? <laughs> the guy with all the Jordans. Right. Yeah, you can't say that anymore. <laughs> no you doubt. You can't say that anymore. It's impossible to collect them all. Mm. So you know, here well, we are almost twenty years later community and support means everything to us we wouldn't be where we are without the support and without the community what we do is for the community by the community mm. and uh, i think that's been the secret to our success that's what now, sets us apart from the the megaliths or um you know hype beasts and stuff yeah. like that there's a no lot doubt. of uh, you know there's a lot of big brands into conventions now you know, mm. whereas before they couldn't pull off what we were doing. But you already know what that is, right? Is that uh, we adopt uh, something, we make it cool, we build it, and they yeah. come in after the fact because they have the pockets and resources to do those things. Yeah. Um, whether whether they acknowledge the architects of that thing is a thing. And I think when you when you hear the phrase sneaker culture, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to me? I mean, sneaker culture has been alive and well since you know, we're both friends with Bob, so we know he's the he's the probably the grand historian of sneaker culture. He's been dating it since the seventies, maybe even sixties. But um, man, it's he just, that old. <laughs> but he knows the history, and he's oh, yeah. in the history and the lineage alive for those of us that are willing to listen. Mm. You know, and I think it's there's always been sneaker culture and sneaker community there, whether it was at the barber shop or the basketball court, or the skate park, or the B-Boy mm -hmm. Cypher, you know, the MC Cypher. It was always there, but the internet made a place for all those people to kind of come together. That's you know, dope. I may I like be a skateboarder, and I may never cross paths with the, the MCs, but the internet made that all possible, and it brought everyone together for, uh, that had a shared passion. And you realize, like, this guy that I may never even uh, glance at on the street. Right. We're brothers, right. you know, and we're able to connect and talk about a lot of different things. And it made people, you know, I've made friends that I'm going to have for the rest of my life. now. Right. You know? Absolutely. I've seen people come to my event, you know, 18 years ago that now bring their kids to my event. So I've That's seen crazy, trans right? gener uh, generations. Right. It's just amazing. Well, I know that when Barbito and I, how we first met was way back in like the 90s, late 80s, early 90s, when I was a college radio DJ there in Houston at Rice University, the Harvard of the South, Go Owls. And he was the college rep radio or college radio rep for Def Jam. And, you know, he called me, you know, here's my records. If you like them, you like it. If you don't, you don't. And we were cool. We just spoke. And then I saw the article he did in the source, Confessions of a Sneakerhead. And I'm like, wait a minute. I thought I was the only person that did that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so our conversations changed as a result. And that's when, I mean, this is a 30 some odd year plus relationship now. And we're looking at this and going like, wow, I know there are other people that are like that. And we talked about going hunting for like sneakers that going to old Army Navy stores and buying stuff. And then when the idea of the book came around, I'm like, Let's rock. So when he said, where'd you get those New York sneaker culture from 1960, 1987 and being a part of that book, that's a contributor is basically the seminal book in sneaker culture to document that thing. And the passion you talked about, that was another place we were all able to come together because a lot of the people in the book, I didn't know personally, but we all played basketball. We were in the music industry or whatever the case might be. And of course, this love for sneakers you know, was something that was beyond just like collecting. We played in those sneakers. And I think there's a difference. And these days, a lot of people collect just for the sake of collection. But the sneakers are meant to be worn. My man Clark Kent will always tell you, 
wear your sneakers, my guy, always, you know, and, and meeting you and seeing what you're doing down there. We were also supposed to connect during NBA All-Star Weekend uh-huh. in 2016 in Toronto. And we were doing this thing called, uh, I think it was Elite 65 or something like that. And we ranked the top 65 sneakers that were debuted at NBA All-Star Weekend over the history of the NBA. And we never met. But timing is everything, right? Yeah, timing's everything, man. I mean, we're, well, not, going, we're not going anywhere. We've been in, in the game so long. I think it, it kind of has us in the in the cradle, you know, this is where we're comfortable at. Oh, no doubt. And and let me ask you something. When you think about your role in sneaker culture, do you consider yourself a curator, someone who is a collector, someone who wears their kicks, someone who promotes the idea of the culture? Um, or are you all of those things in one? I think um, I'm, I have been all of those things. You mm. know, I'm still kind of growing and evolving. Uh, I was a collector turned hoarder and, you know, <laughs> that's how it works out, right? you know, turned into entrepreneur. And then uh, I guess that's kind of where I'm at right now. You know, I love shoes. I uh, had a day job, you know, would work my ass off to buy all the shoes I couldn't afford while I was a kid. Right. You know, I couldn't wear them to the desk job. Right. Can't do that. I could wear them on weekends. But then I started Sneaker Summit, and Sneaker Summit just became a wild success. Mm. You know, where I'd work my day job, then I'd come home at night and work on Sneaker Summit. And I'd never have time to wear any shoes. But right. I, I didn't want to stop buying them, so I just started amassing them. And it became this, this horde of shoes that was in every room in my house, the dining room, the restroom. Without uh, question. It was out of control. And then, uh, the, but that's what I started my store with, kind of like uh, Bobito's Footwork, you know. Started mm-hmm. his own little little store there, and uh, now we have stuff in here from over two thousand people, you know. Mm. And it's a beautiful thing. But uh, so I got rid of a lot of my collection to start the store. I'm more reasonable now for my age, you know. I'll buy reasonable. Stuff that- reasonable is 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 very very relative, sir. Yeah, yeah. I don't, a, I don't have a house full of uh, shoes anymore. They're all hidden in different pockets of my store now. Right. Um, but yeah, I try to buy what I'm going to wear still. Mm. You know, there are those items that I, I buy on an impulse or something and then I never get around to wearing it. But that's just part of the game, man. Let but, me ask you something, though. You said that you said you still buy, which is respect, dude. Mm-hmm. Okay. A person like yourself, like, let me keep it a buck. Uh-huh. They send so much stuff, I don't really buy. And with so much customization and the idea of exclusivity is going out the window unless you get a numbered pair directly from that creator, right? So oftentimes we just don't buy because they send them. Do you you still go out and buy sneakers actively to this day? Oh, yeah. What interests me is like the latest technologies. I like the latest technologies. I like seeing what the brand's doing, you know, the latest cushion, the latest uppers and all that. That's what usually catches my attention is the evolving of sneakers. But I'm not that guy trying to have the biggest and baddest sneaker collection anymore. You know, I'd rather spend my money on my storefront or the event something that the entire community is going to enjoy. That's the kind of thing I guess you say I could be labeled a curator because I'm trying to push the culture in a certain direction with the storefront and the event. But, uh, you know, instead of just thinking about myself and what, you know, I'm not out there with the biggest, baddest release of, you know, autographed shoes or numbered shoes. My money's better spent on something that, our community is going to enjoy and that's going to help grow the community. And that's what makes me happy. That makes me happier than the rarest, hardest to find shoe. No doubt. And I think, I think that's dope as a curator, as we get older and we understand that as a shareholder of the culture, Mm -hmm. that's one of the things we need to do to make sure the next generation understands their responsibility to make sure that's done. And, And before we go to break, let me ask you, what is your favorite pair of sneakers right now favorite release coming out i know that's that's, a tough one but that's tough right now uh let's go to break and then we'll come back with that how about that 
Well, no doubt. So let's come back for more on the other side of this with my man, Kadoma, Brian Angel from the Sneaker Summit on the Open Run with Will Strickland. Now listening to the sounds of the open run with Will Strickland, where the lecture is conducted from the mic into the speaker, in conversation with my man, Brian Kadoma, Angel from Sneaker Summit down in HTX, Houston, Texas. What's up, B? Hey, man. Just chilling, enjoying the show. Ready to get back into it. Have no doubt. No doubt. Now, I asked you before the break uh-huh. what your favorite sneaker was right now. And have you had an opportunity to figure that out? Yeah, I really had to think about it. I'm going to show you guys what I'm going to be wearing this weekend at the 18th Annual Holiday Sneaker Summit here in Houston, Texas. I'm going to be wearing the Bape Vans Collaboration uh, Skate High. Okay. This is my favorite sneaker right now. It means a lot to me because this is kind of the collision of both worlds you know like i said i grew up as a skateboard kid skateboarding around the neighborhood and then evolved into like this hype beast collector hoarder curator right or you know uh brought vape to houston 20 years ago like to me this is like everything i've been through in one shoe this is a full circle moment for me so It's not the latest and greatest numbered rare thing, you know, but don't have to mean something to you, though. It has to mean something to you. Yeah. But, you know, we're from the old school to, you know, fashion. It was a statement of how you felt. Now it's just, I got the latest and greatest just drop this and that. You know, know like keeping up with the Joneses to some people. But, you know, that was us, too. As kids, before this became a multi-billion dollar business. Like we wanted to have the newest lace. We wanted all the toys. We wanted the, the freshest. Like right now, I mean, I'm wearing a pair of chocolate rye labors. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, rye labors. But on some chocolate joints, I, I, I had never seen those before. And I'm like, yeah. yo, I got it. With the suede uppers, I'm like, gotta get them. That's just how I'm feeling today, you know? Yeah. It, it, it's still kind of cool, but. 2020 was a majestic year for sneakers i mean i think it it was legendary it will go down in the books Uh, a lot of people are saying the ominary three jordan three is the shoe of the year you know jordan three is arguably one of the top jordans of all time it's the greatest sneaker of all time from fashion and a function standpoint to me and i'm not even a jordan fan like that and uh you know just made out luxurious materials for i think the first time ever uh, we saw the rise of SB Dunks again. You know, a mm-hmm. lot of Nike SB Dunks going for stupid money right now. <laughs> uh, Jordan 1s. Jordan yeah. 1s, still the most popular shoe ever. Uh, we saw, you know, the tragedy of Travis Scott, Astroworld. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like, I mean, I got I to gotta mention it, man. That's a pivotal point in sneakers right there. Mm-hmm. Very pivotal. Mm-hmm. We also saw the passing of Virgil Abloh, you know, That's like the guy, Virgil, no doubt. you know, a guy who almost single-handedly took, you know, street fashion to the luxury, to brand new heights. I'm not going to say he's the first one to take it. Well, we know who, we know who that is, right? Yeah. My man Dapper Dan. Yeah. Dapper Dan, you know, you gotta talk to Dapper Dan. Dan. you're talking yeah. about the, that, that Move collision between the streets and luxury brands. Dan. That's right. But Yo, um, you can never forget about Dan. Yeah. Yeah. So, but he took it to new heights and, uh, you know, we're now accepted in places where we weren't before. Well, that, you know, that always happens though. Like I said earlier, like those things get co-opted because we make everything cool, right? Once we turn it into our own thing, we give it a different life. And right now, something that's not all that cool, although for a minute it was because they just came off of a, well, I like to call a 15-game winning strike because they didn't win a game. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden, they went on a seven-game losing strike, right? Oh, they won yeah. seven straight. The Houston Rockets. 
Now, yeah. they just lost two in a row. No Jalen Green, but they have a lot of promise. I like Steven Silas down there. I like the energy around the city, around this team. They have some youth. And, and have you tried to follow them a little bit? Man, I always keep my eye on the Rockets, you know. I kind of lost a little bit for them when, you know, they gave up the – they blew up the entire roster this past offseason, you know. Like, oh, my gosh, what are these guys doing? You know, the owner, Tillman Fertitta, he was one of the first CEOs to lay off everybody during the pandemic mm. you know, at his restaurants and everything. So I figured he was following the same method at his uh, basketball club. Right. But, I mean, it's, uh, it's good to see youth. I, I am – always in favor of youth and new blood and mm. what in sports and business and politics, whatever. I like youth. I like new blood. I think it's important to always get fresh ideas and everything in there. You know, you don't want to grow stale and old and complacent. Um, so I like seeing that I've kept an eye on them from afar, you know, right. I'm in the game right now. I want to tell right. you that I'm in the zone. It's holiday. I'm trying to make sales. I have a huge event coming up, you know, two weeks from now. So I'm not the guy rushing to the sports bar after work to catch every play. I'm keeping an eye on them from afar. I'm in the game. I don't have time to look up at the scoreboard what the other guys are doing. But I do keep an eye on them from afar. They come in the store, actually, to shop for kicks. You know, a lot of the Rockets, you know, I think I'd have to tell you, PJ is probably the biggest Rocket that came in here. He's in Miami now. Right. You know, uh, a couple of the newer guys, they're starting to come in here. They're learning where to shop in Houston. And it's mm-hmm. cool to see them in here. I support them. I want them to win. I want them to do well. I want them to exceed in their career. You know, everything. Hey, so like you said, you're the 80s baby. So what is your, what's your Rockets era? What are the, the, the times you remember? Because are you originally from Houston? Yeah, I'm originally from North Houston. Okay. Uh, I went to Pine Forest High School. Uh, same high school as Jennifer Ford at Premium Goods. I think there's a, a couple of other, you know, Houstonians in the culture that went to that high school. But uh, my Rockets era, man, I like uh, Rudy Tomjanovich as a coach. Right. I like Hakeem Olajuwon, in my opinion. He'll always be the greatest uh, Rocket. Uh, Sam Cassell, Robert Ory, Big Shot Bob. Yes, sir. Man, just following that guy throughout his career, even when he left the Rockets, you know, San Antonio and Lakers and all that uh, was amazing. Um, I love the Steve Francis era. You know, I used to go to games and watch Steve I hated those uniforms, though. I hated those uniforms. I mean, they're, they they kind of came back now. They just did kind of like a hybrid of the new uniforms, and people, yeah. people like it. You know, they're trying to get more cartoonish or family-oriented. I don't know what the Toronto Raptor kind of cartoon-looking thing going on then they had a cartoon it you know i guess iceberg was big back then so they were trying to do that (laughs) right but uh yeah i i I love the steve francis era i love to see himself just he man he would leave it all on the floor every night and he would take abuse going to that rack man i don't know how he made his career last as long as he did into yao ming into t-mac Right. Um, it's a very storied franchise. I mean, they don't have a lot of championships, but they they have a lot of memorable players. And I just enjoyed, you know, and, and they didn't really stick to like a, a single method. They they evolved and just tried different yeah. things, which, you know, I said I'm a big fan of. I think it's very cool to try different things. So it was really enjoyable. But, you know, I got to get into these new young guys and see what they're going to make of themselves. So. No it's doubt. exciting to watch. I'm not real hopeful. I'm a realist. I'm not a, I'm not a <laughs> blind you, fan. Like, we're going to win the championship this year. You know, no. But what you said was dope, too. There's a journey to be had. I think that a lot of fans don't enjoy the journey. You enjoyed the journey through Sneaker Summit when you started out. Like you said, I was doing it here. And then it became this thing, the sports bar. And then we got in the arena and all this other stuff. So there's a journey that's there. And you don't always remember, like, oh, we're now in NRG's park, and this is great. But there's something about those moments when you're negotiating a bar, paying for a $300 bouncer, that means something to the foundation, what you're doing. And the Houston Rockets are doing the same thing. Um, You reference a guy, the artist formerly known as Anthony Leon Tucker Jr., a.k.a. P.J. Tucker. 
-hmm. He is the NBA sneaker king without question. Yes. As of right now, I would say yes. You know, some guys are trying to challenge him. Who? Uh, there's a couple of guys out there that are trying to challenge PJ. That'll that'll tell you they're they're up there with PJ. But I don't. They'll think tell so. you, but, but they're PJ trying. They're trying. He yeah. rocks his kicks on the like yeah. he plays in them in games. He doesn't just yeah. leave them in a box or on a shelf or somewhere in a glass case. He plays in those joints. But but before uh, PJ was uh, Gilbert Arenas. Mm -hmm. uh, he had a he. I think he had a website, the Sneaker Champ. I don't know what mm -hmm. happened to that website, but uh, and then a lot of people remember Kobe's sneaker free agency. Kobe mm -hmm. wore almost every different brand during that free agency. Oh, that's yeah. how you get that though. Yeah, but uh, PJ is the current day sneaker king, and uh, you know we'll we'll see what happens. He's he's doing it good. He's doing good. He's holding it down out there. I'm very proud of him. I'm happy he won the championship uh, last year with the Bucks. You know, big Bucks mm -hmm. man. We did a sneaker summit for the Bucks. Uh, I want to say in 2013, 2014. Uh, great organization. You know, worked with the marketing team and Jason Kidd up there, and just amazing, amazing time. Oh, so I wanted to see them win that championship. I'm glad PJ was there when they did it, and I'm even more happier he landed in Miami because mm -hmm. it seems like he got you know, everything he is looking for. He got the money. He landed on a great team. He's in a fashion capital of the world. I yep. mean, I just don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how he's fitting in with the team, but that's probably the best place for PJ. No doubt. Let, let me ask you, and we're winding this down here on the open run with Will Strickland in conversation with my man, Brian Angel Kadoma from Sneaker Summit in Houston, Texas. I need you to give me your top five, Player edition picks uh -huh. of all time. Man, me personally, that might be a little hard, but I'll dig in there as far as I can. Um, like we talked give about, me five. like we talked about Air Jordan three, you know, okay. jumping from the free throw line, tongue hanging <laughs> out. I can still picture that moment frozen in time in my head. That is laser burned in my brain. What colorway though? Would you rock? What colorway? The white, the ones he had on. It's right. that moment frozen in time in my head forever, unforgettable. I'll never be able to get rid of it. Um, I would say after that, man, it's going to be really difficult. Air Jordan 2s, you know, skinny okay. and proud. That's a top five sneaker. Air Jordan 1, Nike Dunk, SB though, SB though. No, I wanna, but I wanna, wait, I want to go to the player edition joints. Okay, so, you, want, you want player edition joints. Mm -hmm. Gotta have the Zoom Kobe one in there. Kobe's okay. first, Kobe's first basketball shoe with Nike. That okay. was a big deal. You know, the players are going crazy for Kobe's right now. They can't find them anywhere. Not question. You know? In my opinion, one of the brands, be it Nike or Adidas, they just need to break off Vanessa that Billy and <laughs> right and, and let it be. Yeah, let it be, man. Uh, uh let me see what else. It's got to be basketball shoes though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I was gonna say Nike SB Dunk. You know, I know Costin and Ashadwer have had their take on it. Uh, that's been a big thing. Uh, Ewing. Ewing's big Ewing's in New Adidas. York. You know, the, the Ewing brand or the Ewing Adidas. Which one are you want? Uh, I would say. I would say. I like. The, I like the Ewing brand. Okay. I'm gonna go with Ewing brand. To me, that is more. More. Uh, memorable i'm not a new york guy when i see patrick ewing i think of the ewing brand right yeah, that's something that's hung around a long time basketball maybe i got one more in there man i'm not gonna say i i'm not he's whispering the tonic olajuwon but i'm gonna go with, yeah i'm gonna go with the reebok pump okay reebok pump so that's more of a, that was the signature shoe of Dominique at the time. Dominique Wilkins yeah. was those. Even though D. Yeah. Brown made them famous in the dunk yeah, contest of pumping them up. Look, dunk, yeah. Right. But, yeah. you know, let's not – for the sake of Houston, the sake of respect, yeah. on the soil you're on, sir, uh -huh. we must go with the Akeem Olajuwon okay, and Tonic. We'll go with the Akeem Olajuwon and Tonic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, I, I definitely appreciate you. Yes, sir. Go, 
I appreciate you coming on, man. And I want you to talk about some of the events you have coming up with Sneaker Summit, including the one coming up this Sunday, December yeah. 19th. This Sunday, December 19th, we'll be at NRG uh, Park. We'll be in a big, huge exhibit hall. We'll have 150 vendors, at least 3,000 people through the door to the day of show. Uh, it's our 18th annual holiday event, you know, so I don't know if you guys can see that. But uh, it's presented in part by Monster Energy Boost Mobile. Uh, they help make the event greater than it could be on its own. Um, and then after that, we're going to try to go to uh, Cleveland for the All-Star Game, have a little something mm -hmm. out there for sneakerheads. And then we do an event at South by Southwest in Austin on uh, spring break. So those are our next three events. Yeah, the, the mid-February event and the mid-March event. That's right. We're going to take January off. We're going right. to do a little vacation and me and uh, my buddy Ralph G over here, but, um, you know, or maybe do some scouting, maybe head out to Cleveland and see where we're going to fit in out there. But uh, well, I mean, you know, that's something we can talk about offline uh, because there are some possibilities for that, as well as this other project that we've been working on together that we're going to work out some kinks for. But I want to thank you for coming by, man, and let the people know where they can find you online. I think I have everything in the scroll there, but People who are listening yeah. might not be able to see the scroll just yet. So you want to let them know where they can find you? Thanks for having me, man. I had a great time. You know, it's always a great time talking kicks, and that's what we're here doing every day at 3814 South Shepherd in uh, uh, Upper Kirby in Houston, Texas. You can find us on social media at Sneaker Summit or visit sneakersummit.com. Uh, everything we got in the store we have online there, and uh, we also sell tickets to our events there too. So everything is in one place, sneakersummit.com. You can check that out. What's the hottest thing coming out the store right now? Like people are coming in to buy that, like hand, giving all their money hand over fist to you for those things. What's the hottest sneaker coming out the store right now? Uh, top sneakers right now are Air Jordan 1s and Nike Dunks. That's what people really? want. After that, I would say is uh, Yeezy brand. And then, uh, you know, Bape Supreme. Uh, after that, V loan. Uh, that's what people are looking for right now. Well, you're a top shelf brand yourself, sir, and I appreciate your time and consideration today. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Buckets from the University of Connecticut, the Husky star, the only woman to win the National Player of the Year as a freshman, is out six to eight weeks with a cracked left knee. It was a non-contact injury. It was like a freak thing. She was trying to make a quick move. Best of luck to the UConn Lady Huskies because Gina Oriema hates not having her out there and we can see why. Their 239 game losing strike. I did not stutter when I said 239 game Losing strike against unranked teams came to an end when losing to Georgia Tech this past weekend. Georgia Tech, UConn will be all right, though. Shout out to Ron Harper Jr., the son of the great Ron Harper, the five-time, five-time, five-time NBA champion Ron Harper. This young man hit a half-court buzzer beater to beat the then-ranked number one Purdue Boilermakers in a game this past weekend, so we're going to have another Number one team in the country, and as a matter of fact, our fourth in four weeks, starting out with Gonzaga at one, then Duke, Purdue, and now Scott Drew's Baylor Bears, the new number one team in the country as a result of that loss by Purdue at the top of the rankings. And this is what makes college basketball so great. I cannot wait for March. I don't like the fact that the NCAA is still involved and we have to figure out something that's going to change over time. I get it. But these guys play all out. doesn't matter whether you have stars or not. You never know. It could be your day, and they make the most of it. Shouts out to the Baylor Bears back on top. Number one. Will we have a new number one next week? Perhaps, Robert, you might. Perhaps, you might. I spoke about the Basketball Africa League earlier in the podcast. 
and they will be back for their second season. You know that Jake Cole played over there for a couple of games just to really give some light to the league. But there's some quality players there. Again, part of Masai Jury's master plan to open up the continent to basketball and opportunities that have never existed there. So shout out to him for being a pioneer. But they open up their season in March of 2022 in Senegal once again. So shout out to the BAL. Also shout out to Damian Lillard, who by July 2022, knowing the turmoil that his team is in right now, which is kind of a funny way to kind of force a trade without saying you want a trade, says he wants to be the highest paid player in the league going to his 14th, 13th or 14th season. He'll be 35 years old. Now he just signed a four-year, $176 million contract and he wants to get an extension next summer. Two years, $107 million. Hey, I'm not mad at him for asking for the money. You know, maybe looking for his lifetime achievement loyalty program payment. I don't know. It feels like that. But two years, $107 million, never really won anything. You want to be the highest paid player in the league? On top of the fact that you don't have a GM and then the guy that people were speculating would be traded because you expressed an interest in playing with Ben Simmons. Christian James McCollum, the head of the Players Association, the MBPA, shouts out to the MBPA is out with a collapsed lung, so therefore there will be no trade because he's injured. There are rules against that stuff. There's going to be a fire sale in Portland soon enough. Next week's guest is going to help me figure that out. I can guarantee that. Not exactly sure what's going on with these young guys and making sure that they take care of their weight. I know you make millions of dollars playing a game, but this is also your job. And I am talking about Luka Lamar Doncic, with two R's, of course, with Lamar who is alleged to have come into camp at 260 pounds. He had a good summer. He ate a lot of bonbons sitting on the couch, but the current MVP of the league, Nikola Jokic, who was seen as a kind of a chubby, out-of-shape guy, really got in fantastic shape for the past couple of years and made himself an MVP. Luka's looking to do the same. At least we think he is. His game suggests that. He's wanting to be one of those guys in the pantheon of greatness but not taking care of your body while saying you are also interested in possibly playing with Ben Simmons, you got to do something about it. He's out for the next couple of games with a bad ankle. He's been on that bad ankle all year. Could be something to do with the weight. And when you look at these teams and these players who are openly lobbying to play with Ben Simmons, collusion, tampering, whatever, I guess somebody will pay a fine and the fee will be two second round draft picks in the year 2035. But in a recent article by the Washington Post, Michael Lee, he talked about Philadelphia and what they're doing and how they're handling Ben Simmons, how they're handling Joel Embiid indirectly as a result, can be akin to organizational malpractice. And I agree with him. From Hinky to Colangelo, Brand to Mori, they need to find out what they're going to do because these guys are in limbo. They will never reach their full potential. And you can't waste Joel Embiid's prime years. And we're going toward that prime. He's a big man. The injuries will mount as he gets older, even though his game is even more refined. He's one of the best players in the world. And the opportunities to win championships, the window is tight. It's not guaranteed. Not for any team. Ask the Lakers right now. Ask the the, the Warriors a couple of years ago. It's not guaranteed. Speaking of the Warriors, shouts out and congratulations to head coach Steve Kerr has now been named head coach of the U.S. Men's Senior National Basketball Team, Team USA. So, shouts out to Steve. And that is real power. Arguably the most qualified guy to ever get a coaching position in NBA history because of all the things he was able to do and procure on his way to actually coaching. I've said this before, from being a key cog on two dynasty teams, the Bulls and the Spurs, playing under those coaches, Phil Jackson, Greg Popovich, being on television with Marv Albert having the prime television games to watch. You watch the entire league, being an analyst on TNT with Marv Albert, going on to become GM and part owner of the Phoenix Suns, and then taking on an assignment in Golden State when he saw the time was right to make that move. Kudos to Steve Kerr. Hopefully you'll find gold and in their hills as the Team USA head coach in 2024 in Paris. I don't doubt that you will. And now on to the Power 10 of the NBA this week. 
There's been a change up top as the Phoenix Suns are the number one team in the league right now. The Phoenix Suns doing what they do and without Devin Booker, which has been tough. But JaVale McGee, like I said, easily in the sixth man of the year conversation, starting a couple of games for DeAndre Ayton, playing well off the bench, like a very mature three-time NBA champion that he is. Golden State Warriors, number two. Utah Jazz currently on a seven-game losing strike just in the mix. The highest scoring team in the league or second highest scoring team in the league. Charlotte Hornets are the number one scoring team in the league. But at 115 points a night, plus playing defense. At four, the Brooklyn Nets. As I said, Kevin Durant put that 50 burger on Detroit just recently. And with the specter, the ever-growing specter, that Kyrie Irving may come back just to play road games. Never know. Brooklyn Nets at number four. Milwaukee Bucks at number five. Giannis doing Giannis things, as we said. I feel bad for Chicago. They're definitely going to drop as a result of having 10 of their players under COVID protocols right now. 10 players. Your roster's only 15. They're just borrowing guys right now. The Chicago Bulls at number six. At number seven, the Miami Heat treading water right now with no Jimmy Butler, no Bam Adebayo, but you still have veteran leadership. A guy by the name of Kyle Terrell Lowry down there leading the way with Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, and of course, the artist formerly known as Anthony Leon Tucker Jr. P.J. Tucker, the sneaker king of the National Basketball Association at number seven. At number eight, the Memphis Grizzlies. Without Demetrius Jamel Morant and Dylan Brooks, they're still holding it down. This is all about Desmond Bain. This is all about J3, Jaron Jackson Jr. This is all about Taylor Jenkins. And now I have the answer to Dominique Foxworth's question about Massa Jenkins. Now, this is an aside, totally aside. There's some show, I can't remember the name of the show on ESPN, where Mike Golick Jr., Pablo Torre, and Dominic Foxworth came on. They had a segment about Massa Jenkins. There's no Massa Jenkins because they don't know any white people with the last name Jenkins. Well, I know one, Taylor Jenkins, the head coach of the Memphis Grizzlies. I don't know if he had, if his people, well, let's not go there. Anyway, at number eight, the Memphis Grizzlies. At nine, the Cleveland Cavaliers. J.B. Bickerstaff, I know everyone's talking about what kind of job Billy Donovan is doing there in Chicago, but let's not dismiss J.B. Bickerstaff and what he's doing in Northeast Ohio with the Cavaliers, Evan Mobley playing opposition, Ricky Rubio reinvigorated by the Olympics and his chance there. The injury to Colin Sexton has really made Darius Garland an even better player, uh, which sounds crazy to say, but he has to step up his game. Isaac Okoro, those guys, they're really playing solid right now. And of course, the veteran leadership of Kevin Wesley Love? I did not stutter when I said that. They're at number nine right now, so welcome to the party. And at number 10, I really had a hard time figuring out who I wanted to put here. But at the end of the day, I went with the Philadelphia 76ers who had a big win over the Golden State Warriors. They would be damned if they're going to let Steph Curry come out and hit 16 three-pointers against them. And Curry just recently said, and I love this about Steph, that he regrets saying he's going to hit 16 threes. This is a league of prideful men who care about what happens to them. The Steph came out and just, he's going to say, you know, hey, I'm going to go out and hit 16 threes in you. Not going to happen. They're going to do everything to take that out of his hands. So I don't feel bad, but Philadelphia did their job, stopped them, played a great game. Joel Embiid, again, leading the way. And they are at number 10. And right on the outside of that, I had the Clippers. I don't know why. They've been playing pretty well. Paul George has been down for a couple of games. But I don't like the Clippers. I never have. I never will. Even though I'm cool with Tyler. Milestones this week. My man Zebo, Zach Randolph, got his number 50 retired. He was supposed to have a partner there with him. First team all defense, Tony Allen. Chicago's very own Tony Allen. He must be mad right now. But they gave Zach a great tribute. And I like the way they did this in Memphis. Memphis, the home of Stacks Records. A lot of soul there. It's the intersection of a lot of music from the Delta Blues. As you go up to early R&B and rock and roll, that's in that, that mix right there in Memphis. And they gave Zebo a retirement party, and the trophy was a platinum plaque. I thought it was great. Even when they hung his number, it had a platinum record on it. It didn't have the Memphis Grizzlies logo on it, which I found odd, but I saw that, and I was like, wow, that's dope. Tony Allen missed out on that because he was caught up in this whole health benefits scam that they did with the MBPA. So maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. Welcome to the 100 Triple Double Club to the hashtag. Some people say that triple doubles have been devalued. Blame Russell Westbrook. That's whack. It still takes a lot to get it because if everyone can do it, they be doing it. 
So shouts out to he who shan't be named on entering that club. I think he's number six on the list now or seven, somewhere in there. Russell at the top of it, of course. Jason Kidd, Magic Johnson, Oscar Robertson, those guys are ahead of the hashtag he who shan't be named. But while we're on the Lakers, 60 years ago this past week, the Lakers and the Sixers played a three-overtime game in which the late, great Wilton Norman Chamberlain scored 78 points and had 43 rebounds. This is not a typo. This is not virtual reality. This is not 2K. This actually happened on 31 of 62 shots he took from the field. He took 62 shots by himself in the NBA game. Not to be outdone by the late, great Elgin Gay Baylor, who had 63 points and 31 rebounds on the 23 of 55 shooting from the field. The final score was 151-147. I think the Sixers won, if I'm not mistaken. I can't, it doesn't really matter. I'm just looking at those numbers. They were ridiculous. And though the Lakers never won a championship during Elgin's time, the success of the early dynasty with George Mikan and their five championships back in the late 40s and early 50s, Competing in the finals in the 60s and never beating Bill Russell in the Celtics to lone championship in the 70s in 1972 with the longest losing strike in NBA history of 33 straight games comes a story from a man by the name of Adam McKay. It's supposed to be like a comedy, I guess, but it's really documenting the Lakers dynasty of the 80s showtime called Winning Time, where the late owner of the LA Lakers, Dr. Jerry Buss, decided that basketball and entertainment should go together. The idea of showtime came from Jerry Buss, he had the perfect person to make that happen, the vehicle known as Urban Magic Johnson. I'm looking forward to seeing this is on HBO Max. It's coming out soon. I can't remember the date, but I'm looking forward to that. And as a result, I saw this thing online where somebody created, and this happens all the time. People are in their feelings sometimes. The all-time teams of Phil Jackson versus the all-time team of Pat Riley. And this, both of those guys, former players in the NBA, Phil Jackson primarily with the New York Knickerbockers, and Pat Riley, Phoenix Suns, and also the Los Angeles Lakers. Phil Jackson's team was this. They cheated because they put Kobe at the one. Bless the dead. But I want to know who you think is going to win between Pat Riley's all-time team and Phil Jackson's all-time team. So let's start with Phil's. At the one, they have Kobe Bryant. At two, Michael Jeffrey Jordan. At three, Scotty Maurice Pippen. At four, Dennis Keith Rodman. Wow, okay. At five, Shaquille Rashawn O'Neal. For Pat Riley, he had Irvin Magic Johnson, Dwayne Tyrone Wade Jr., the hashtag he who shan't be named, Christopher Weston Bosch, and the artist formerly known as Ferdinand Lewis Alcindor Jr. Who do you think is going to win? I'm really interested in that. I think we should pick someone else because they wanted to have both Kobe and Jordan on the same team. But who would be that point guard for Phil Jackson? Is it Steve Kerr? John Paxson? B.J. Armstrong? Ron Harper, we talked about his son earlier in the podcast. One guy who will probably never make one of these teams and never be on a team, and I feel bad saying that, in his three seasons in the NBA, this guy's been out more games than he's played, and that's Zion Williamson, who's faced with another setback because of his foot and the injury he sustained this past summer. He's down indefinitely. That's one of the worst words you can hear as a fan. Indefinitely, he's out. Was the reason for that? Maybe he ate too many Cumberbunds. We won't be eating any of those at all. As a matter of fact, we're going to move on to next week, preview the Christmas games, and talk about more of the news, views, and truths that you choose on the podcast where basketball and life are one. So until next week, do remember, do what's popular with the population, make sure you don't get beat off the dribble, and keep listening to The Open Run with Will Strickland. Rich kid, my mellow, my man, let's make it happen as we do each and every week. Easy. Okay, okay.